There's one thing I want you to do for me. What? Come here. Welcome to the Tim Gaither Podcast, episode 82. I'm in the green room at the Las Vegas Laugh Factory, Tropicana Hotel, with uh, my buddy Harry Basil. Harry is the uh, booker, and uh, what's your official title, Harry? Well, I'm a partner, one of the owners, Okay. and then the general manager and the booker, talent booker. Okay. And you, this club has been open for... Seven years. We just had our seven-year anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've worked here almost since the beginning. Yeah, you did. I think you I started here. in December. You might have been here like the first three months or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of my favorite rooms in the country because it's, it can be difficult because, because it's so, um, such a different crowd some nights, you know, mm-hmm. like, like, you know, but... It can also be the most fun room because it, the way it's set up, like I always feel like I'm hosting a party or something when I'm headlining here, you know? Um, I just love the room, but uh, this room is also historic because it was, what was it before the Laugh Factory? Well, it was <clears throat> Brad Garrett's Comedy Club for two years, and then before that it was the Comedy Stop for 25 years, which is a chain out of uh, the, the East Coast. Right. They had one at the Tropicana in Atlantic City. Okay. And uh, then it was Rodney's place. Rodney Dangerfield opened up a club in 84. And I think it was here for like a year and a half or two years. Yeah, so yeah. this is an 84 with Rodney Dangerfield. And so. he did a special from here. I'm losing my voice. <clears throat> he did a special uh, opening night at Rodney's place with Thea Vidal, Tim Allen, Jeff Foxworthy, yeah. Greg Travis, John Fox... And um, I'm leaving someone out. I'm leaving someone out. I don't know if it was Bill Hicks. Uh, and Kennison did a guest spot on it, too. I think I saw that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. If you watch it, you could actually see it on YouTube, opening night at Rodney's Place, and you'll see the chandeliers, the big uh, crystal chandeliers, are still in the room. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, dude, this room's historic, and, and I remember watching those, like, Rodney Dangerfield specials. When I was younger, and they're the what they are what planted the seed that I was going to do this. I was like ten years old, and it was Kinnison and Dice and uh, Emo Phillips. Right. And uh, I don't think Emo's ever done one. Maybe it wasn't Emo. But he's done a young comedian special, but yeah. he never did one of Rodney specials. Okay. You know, but Bob Nelson, you know, was breakout. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, when did you start doing? How long have you been doing comedy? Do you um, still do stand up too. Yeah. Yeah. I started in '82. I moved out to L.A. and uh, wanted to be an actor and uh, moved to uh, North Hollywood and got a job as a waiter at the Sheridan Universal and uh, wound up uh, you know, trying to go on auditions, and it was just crazy. Yeah. And I had a friend visiting town, uh, and I wanted to do something that was not expensive, so one of the waitresses said, hey, take him to the comedy store in Sunset Boulevard. It's free on Monday night. Yeah. You watch the amateurs, and then the pros go on. Uh-huh. So we got there and sat through you know, horrible opening open <clears throat> mic night, 
but then got to see like Dice and Jim Carrey and and Louie and and Kennison and Paul Mooney and just some great acts and uh, Howie Mandel popped in and uh, but I went a couple of times and saw the guys up front and I was like shit I could do something like this because yeah. I've always been a silly guy and could do impressions and stuff like that so I started like doing this movie spoof thing and uh, that was the very first thing that I did you know and I did like two weeks of amateur night and then I got hired as a, a paid regular so have you always been a, a prop guy yeah always a prop guy okay um, I saw you know because I had never seen a prop comic on TV before like on the Tonight Show uh-huh. but uh, at the comedy store I saw guys using props um, you know Jim Carrey had some props that he used and Gary Muldeer and Denny Johnson, a whole trunk load of props. And uh, even Dice used some props or, you know, costumes and stuff like that or used the soundtrack music. Mitzi liked those kinds of acts, you yeah. know what I mean? Back yeah. in the 80s and 90s, she um, she loved uh, variety acts, Yeah. you know. And uh, so after two weeks of trying stuff, um, I got on a showcase and she hired me. Nice. And uh, I wound up doing a lot of spots in Westwood, which was open then, and then occasional uh, OR spot, you know, until I wound up, like, really developing the act, yeah. you know. So it didn't take you very long to become a paid regular then? No, two weeks. Oh, two wow. weeks of amateur night, I got, became a paid regular. And then about... Like the fastest in history. And then about two months of, two months of doing Westwood before it closed develop the act you know but still you were so you were pretty good right off the bat I mean you're a natural I, I sounds like you know what I get I mean I would there's no video of of it thank God <laughs> you know because I think about some things that I did and you go oh my god but um you know I, I had a couple of crazy things that I would do and and when in Westwood I would try crazy shit like you know I had a my card broke when I became a professional comic the car that I drove cross country was like a, oh my god, a Cougar, Mercury Cougar. Yeah. It just died. So I think for seven hundred and fifty dollars, I bought a Honda Passport. Uh-huh. So my prop bag was only like you know a carry on bag, you know what I mean? Because that's all I could fit on the on the bike. Yeah. Uh, but I tried, <laughs> I tried jumping the audience. You know, like, I I, I, uh, I brought a bunch of guys on stage. Like, that's what my whole thing was, bringing a lot of people on stage, right. whether I use props or not. So I bring people on stage. I have about four guys, and I had them get on their all fours, and then I put a ramp on one end of the stage and a ramp on the other end, and they realized where I was going with this. That I was, And then I opened the back door to the club, which opened to the alley, and you heard me start up this bike, <laughs> and you see the light, like, kind of shining in the room, and I drive into this passport with this... Helmet on. It looked like I was going to be shot out of a cannon. And I drive through the club, and everyone's cracking up. I'm thinking, where am I going to go? I have no punchline for this. Am I going to really try and jump them? And uh, I get all the way to the end, and I get everybody to do a drum roll on the table, and I rev it and rev it, and there was a kill switch. You know what I mean? Uh, on the bike. So I go and hit the ramp, and I hit the kill switch, and go like, damn it, out of gas. You know, and that would be yeah. the thing, and I would end, and then we had to freaking. Get everyone off stage and and uh, the MC would come up and guys in the freaking club. But one night I thought it was a neutral and I was revving it. Yeah. And it kicked into gear and I went flying into some tables and everybody Shit. jumped out of the way. And the the Thai bartender was like, you know, 
you don't drive car in here. I tell Mitzi, you drive car. You drive car in club. So I wasn't allowed to do that bit anymore. You know? The fact that you were able to do it every, yeah, so, once. Yeah, and then one night, one night, oh my God, one night I was having a poker game at my house in North Hollywood, and I was getting ready to go drive, you know, the back roads to Westwood on my little passport with my prop bag. And I used to do a bit where I pulled a black eye on stage and I would handcuff myself to him. And uh, there was a movie called The Defiant Ones, yeah. you know, with Tony Curtis and Sidney Portier. So I had everybody hold up their lighters and bark like dogs as we were like ran through the crowd and shit like that. So there was only one black guy in the audience, this big guy, he looked like the guy from uh, The Green Mile, yeah. what's the actor's name? Ryan Clark Duncan. Yeah, 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 big guy like that. I get the guy on stage and uh, I realize once I get him up there that he has Down syndrome, you oh, know? Wow. And, uh, and he has like this superhuman strength where he could just crush me. Well, let me cut back to a flashback <laughs> as I'm about to leave the house okay. to go do this and there's a poker game going on in my house and Louie Anderson is there. So Louie goes, don't, take the bike he goes take my car he let me use his car he had like a big crown vic or something like that right so he gives me his keys and i leave my keys so after i put this handcuff on the guy which the handcuff barely fits around the guy's wrist because he's so big right i reach into my pocket to get the handcuff keys to take the guy out and i don't feel my keys i feel oh, louis anderson's keys and i realize <laughs> i don't have the fucking keys to un- uncuff this guy yeah. so i start telling the audience and they start laughing and i'm going no i don't i swear to god louis anderson and i start telling the story meanwhile this guy's getting restless on stage yeah. and he's swinging me back and Holy forth shit. so they had to call the police <laughs> to come down and uh, the keys didn't fit like they this was like handcuffs uh, that I bought at like a novelty store on Hollywood Boulevard they were really handcuffs but you know the key was smaller so I wound up picking it with a paper clip at least getting the guy's end off and it was just so sad you know but I would get in trouble for trying these different things you know and um, (laughs) and I wasn't using music in my act I was uh, I was doing a lot of stuff acapella so like I would do Indiana Jones and I had a, a jacket with spiders on the back, and I would hum the music, and I had a hat and a whip, and just silly kind of shit, right? And then I was the runner at the at the comedy store uh, while all this was going on, getting paid like $25 a day. Mitzi had somebody who would run errands for her and use the uh, comedy store truck, which was great because, you know, I had a scooter, you know. Right. Sometimes I'd take the truck home. And I said I knew how to drive a stick, but I didn't. So really? I wanted to fucking ruining the truck you know what I mean like it just died because I didn't know what the hell I was doing and one day Missy sent me to uh, Tower Records to buy a soundtrack for her and I was never into music as a kid and I had never even known that there was a soundtrack section where you could buy records uh, with the theme music from a movie I just I never had a record player so I go into the soundtrack section and I see all these movies and it was like the scene in Jaws when he's on the beach and the kid's getting killed. It's called a Zolly shot where it zooms in and pulls back at the same time. And I just started grabbing all of these albums. And I grabbed Risky Business and Superman and Raiders and, you know, James Bond and Flashdown, whatever movie was popular okay. or classic. And I realized I could add 
music to the bits that I was doing. So uh, Laura was just my friend at the time, my wife Laura, and she had a stereo that was a, a turntable with a cassette player. So you could play something on the turntable and record it onto cassette and edit. So you could hit record and pause and go, okay, I'm going to start with this bit, and now it's going to go from Jaws into Superman into this movie. So I started cutting this music, and um, the uh, Westwood closed, and Mitzi gave me a spot in the OR one night, like on a Wednesday or Thursday night, and I'm going to use all of this music now, and I'm going to close with Rocky, right? And I followed, I followed uh, Richard Pryor, Rodney and Robin Williams wow. and half of the audience left okay and I go on and the fucking music comes on and I've got this cut bit now that I'm doing and I killed it and got a standing ovation oh, wow. and Mitzi grabs me by the arm when I get off stage I'm in my Rocky trunks I just drank the egg you know I would close with drinking an egg and then spitting it you know out and she's like, you're not the runner, you're a fucking headliner, right? So that weekend, uh, she had me close both shows in the OR and both shows in the main room nice. on Fridays and Saturday nights. And then like a month after that, we opened in Vegas. She opened at the Dunes and she had me close like the first weekend there. Awesome. So I wound up becoming like a headliner in Vegas no after like four four months of being a comic. Wow. It was pretty wild. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, so... You know, it was fun. You know, back and back then, you know, there weren't as many clubs, or you know, um, there weren't as many guys doing that kind of stuff. You know, um, I think wound up being like Jim Carrey was doing it. Dice was using some music, um, and then Angel Salazar, you know, started using music. And then, and then she had a lot of female uh, impressionists, singing impressionists. Yeah. They were all doing like Cher and Madonna and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. What, uh, um, I was going to ask you about her, but I'll think of it in a second. What, what kind of, uh, what kind of, oh, I was going to ask you this. Did, were you nervous when she asked you that? Like at first, were you like, holy shit, sure, I'll do it. But when she asked me what? Like if you would close the, you know, that you're a headliner and all that? I had no idea because this was the problem. I almost didn't get, I almost didn't go because there was a music strike. Uh, there was no taped music. There were no. Uh, you had to have the union insisted on all music being live musicians, okay. and a couple of hotels signed a deal. And I think the first one was Splash over at the Riviera. It was a big production show, and they switched to tape music. They signed a deal, and across the street they didn't do it yet at Bally's. And the Dunes was in negotiations to do it. So Mitzi said, "Look, you may not be able to come." They're, they're going to vote on this any day. And I didn't understand what it all meant until later on. And they wound up uh, signing the deal, and I was allowed to use tape music because she had a lot of acts that used tape. She would always have a music act close, close the show. Okay. You know? But it, the great thing about it is it was five comics. So that first week, I, I think there's a, a magazine ad up there on the wall, and it's May 4th, 1984, it was my birthday. I was 24 years old. And it says, Band of Unknown Zanies Invade the Dunes. And it was me, Louis Anderson, Andrew Dice Clay, Paul Rodriguez, Blake Clark, Argus Hamilton, wow. and Jim I Carrey. Wow. And uh, I was closing the show. Awesome. Now, Jim was actually opening for Rodney over at Caesars, so he came over and did a guest set, you know, wow. on it. But it was a lot of... Yeah, and every week would be like, 
five guys like that. You got to work with your buddies, you know? Yeah. What, what was she like, Lindsay Shore? She was great. She, uh, if she loved you, you were, in, you were in. You felt... Somebody once said, one, uh, uh, Harris Pete, who was a legendary doorman at the uh, comedy store for years, said she was the first uh, adult other than our parents that uh, praised us and gave us guidance uh, and approval and said, yeah, you can do this. You know what I mean? You've got something, you know? Uh, I mean, if you were lucky to have great teachers, and I had a great drama teacher and a great art teacher in high school that I still, this day, I still think about them. They were wonderful and and helped motivate me. But Mitzi was terrific like that, you know? And she would give great advice and sometimes she'd give weird advice like she'd say uh, like she might see your act and go you're a you're a denim comic okay you should wear denim all the time not like hey I love your jokes or this or that she she would just think about things like she'd see you and picture something she'd say you're a sweater comic to George Miller so George <laughs> would wear sweaters on, on stage you yeah. know or she told Jackson Purdue that he has a blue aura and that he should wear blue on stage. Um, But she also knew when somebody had talent, and and if she liked you, she gave you that stage time, you know, that you could develop your act and then have an opportunity to be seen by an industry person, whether it's an agent or a booking, uh, you know, uh, agent or a a studio executive. Because so many guys, you know, from when the club opened... uh, probably until the late 90s, got a lot of deals, you know, development deals from the club. I don't think industry people go down as much because you could watch everybody's act on YouTube now. Everybody's got a Netflix special or something, so they'll just send a link, you know? It seems like it's not the same, though. You know, like seeing something live, it's never like... Like seeing Bill Hicks on TV was never the same for me as like... Well, I never got to see him live. He died before I even started comedy. But hearing him on audio, um, it never... Whenever I saw him live, it was like, eh, it just doesn't seem quite as good. Yeah, well, like, um, like you know, not to compare myself to someone, but my act on, on tape or video never looked good because the whole thing is that I'm breaking the wall, so you can't believe that, hey, he's doing all this live. Mm-hmm. So when you see it shot on camera, it just it looks silly, you know what I mean? But when you're breaking the wall in the club and pulling people on stage or going out in the audience, because, like, you know... Uh, Robin used to half of his act would be out in the audience you know at the very beginning that first HBO special he was on he's, he's in between the tables you know just doing everything out there and breaking breaking that wall you know and when a when a when a uh, an industry person sees that in a club like when the industry people saw Martin and Lewis doing it back in the day and go oh my god these guys should be in movies they should be you know on tv and that's what would happen you get signed an agent would take you on and go hey i can get you to open for someone or i can get you a a development deal and uh that was happening all around uh uh the comedy store back then everybody had a production deal or something or did a movie you know uh or was in something something everybody had something going on really yeah god it's changed so much hasn't it it has, but but you know what though? Today, you can become famous with your phone. Right. You know what I mean? You could all of a sudden, like Jess Hilarious, I guess she's selling out, and she's become this Instagram star. You know, or uh, 
um, the guys that did Workaholics, they created the show themselves and shot a pilot. Uh, you know, you could, you could, you could all of a sudden do something and, and become. And, and it can be anything. Like I've been trying to do these prank calls because um, I'm, I'm I'm good at them. And there's also a uh, there's like a science to making things go viral. Like if you put the work into it. Like I was doing all this research on it so I mean yeah in some ways it, it's it's better like you don't need people's approval or whatever right. to be seen by a lot of people but um. I've said this before you know people would ask me is it is it easier or harder now you know and I say both because uh, the whole thing about social media and, and, and creating something yourself and uh, putting it out there uh, could make you a star but but back in like the 80s or even before that, you know, when Rodney was on television, when he was on the, the Tonight Show or Sullivan, half of the country saw it. Yeah. You know, he'd go out on the street and they, we saw you last night on the Sullivan Show sure. or, or the Tonight Show because there was only three networks. Yeah. And even in the 80s, uh, you know, HBO was building a stride doing comedy uh, I think it was in the late 70s uh, or early 80s when Robert Klein had his first special because I think I had just graduated high school and that was the first comedy special I had ever seen and, and even in his special uh, that's where he did I Can't Stop My Leg and play the harmonica yeah. he goes this is you know home box office uh, you could say whatever fuck fuck you know and he just started cursing <laughs> and we're like holy mackerel you know and yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh but, you know, so many guys were getting shots on HBO. And then again, that, that, that's the biggest recognition I ever got as a comic when I did Roddy's Young Comedian special uh -huh. to get recognized in an airport or people came out to see you because you were on that, yeah. high, you know, highly viewed special. Yeah. You know, so I was able to get some pretty good bookings for a number of years just from being in that, you know. Yeah. Um, but... Back then, you know, uh, the last comic to really become famous from The Tonight Show uh, was probably Drew Carey, you know, when he did that one spot where he had the tie and like, everybody just started talking about this guy. Carrot Top became famous from The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Yeah. And then I would say uh, Chelsea Lately's sh uh, show was very good for comics, like Lonnie Love and Josh Wolf and s some guys became pretty. Is her show over? Yeah, that show's not on. It's, she's got something on Netflix, and now it seems the best show to give some cachet is America's Got Talent. Yeah. Um, Vicky Barbalak, you know, kicked ass last year, yeah. and people remember her. She's got a great catchphrase. She's hysterical the way she looks. She's selling tickets now. Yeah. And uh, Jackie Fabulous is on it this it's year. It's nice to see somebody who deserves it. Like me. Yeah, you totally, know, man. Very nice person. And it's great to see somebody that's, you know, above 40, you know. Yeah. Uh, Greg Morton was just on AGT last week. Destroyed. Greg is a monster act. Yeah. He has no TV credits. Nobody's ever, you know, you know, uh, seen him before except for live but everybody who's ever seen his live show goes that guy's amazing yeah. I mean they call him Mr. Standing Ovation if he's at the club and the club's only got 35 people in the audience he's gonna get a standing ovation from those 35 people because yeah. he 
puts his heart out, and he's so talented. So I'm hoping he goes all the way, and then he we we do a residency with him here. Yeah. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Yeah, I'd love great, to have him. Great, here. great. I've I featured for him. Gosh, it's probably been ten or fifteen years. Yeah, but like AGT did great for Piff, who's over, and, and he didn't win. Tape Face, he didn't win. These guys have residencies in town. Terry Fader's worth $130 million. Wow. And he he won the first year. Okay. You know? I mean, so that's the best show. I mean, you could do... I've, I've talked to some comics who's... I said, well, why don't you do another, you know, Conan, or why don't you do another uh, Tonight Show? They go, I don't want to use up the material. It doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. You know? Whereas know. before, comics were doing it like Jeff Altman would do... You know, 15 Letterman's uh, a year. Tom Dreesen would do 20, 30 Letterman's uh, a year. So he's working on his next set, you know. And Rodney was on 70 times on The Tonight Show with Johnny. And he had a falling out with Johnny. So the last 10 years of Rodney's life, he didn't do it. Um, uh, 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 Of um, the last 10 years of... uh, uh, Johnny's tenure, he didn't do it. Imagine how many more he would have done. Sure. He probably would have done like maybe 250 or yeah. you know, you something know, like that. Do you know what their falling out was about? It's so stupid. Rodney, Rodney was such a sensitive guy. He, he helped Johnny get home one night when Johnny was drunk, uh-huh. and Johnny never thanked him. And he was like, man, that ain't right. And I was like, Rodney, do you know how many people probably helped Johnny Carson home drunk? Yeah. You know what I mean? He doesn't remember or want to acknowledge it. And he just didn't uh, yeah. didn't do the show for like 10 years. It was really? stupid. Because yeah. of that. And then he did it in 92, right before Johnny went off the air. Like the last two months he was on, Ladybugs was coming out. So, John, so Rodney went on to do... Uh, you directed stand- it, right? No, no, I... I co-wrote it with Rodney and it was an associate producer on that and um, uh, we actually went and did The Tonight Show he did The Tonight Show and then we went over to Forest Lawn to Sam Kennison's memorial right afterwards private memorial it was so weird you know and and the sad thing is Sam was supposed to be in Ladybugs Uh, yeah and something happened where he didn't show up to do one of Rodney's specials we offered him an HBO special to do a cameo in HBO special and Ladybugs to be the coach the opposing team's coach that Blake Clark wanted to play <laughs> in the role and we wrote the part for him and Rodney was a man you're going to be great in this movie and you're going to do my special and blah 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 and he didn't show up for the special it left Rodney hanging and he was so embarrassed that he wasn't taking Rodney's calls and this was pre-cell phone so you know you either got to call someone at home and Rodney was trying to tell him, man, I don't care that you didn't do the special. I still want you in the movie. I still want you in the movie. And uh, he never called. He was so embarrassed. He never called Rodney back. They never spoke again. And uh, we wound up casting Blake Clark in the part. And it was this crazy coach that screamed a lot, so we changed it to like a, a drill sergeant kind of a, uh-huh. you know, Blake was perfect for that. Uh, Blake was in, uh, of course, Fifty First Dates. He played Drew Barrymore's dad. He's been in like a bunch of Adam Sandler movies. Sure. And um, when we were doing the press junket for the movie, that's when Sam died. He was on his way to Laughlin. And if Sam had done the movie, I know he would have been on the press junket with us. Yeah. Like the studio would have said, we want Kennison to go do press too. Sure. And Roddy and I always thought, fuck, if he had done the movie, he wouldn't have been doing that gig. Now, why didn't he... Why was he embarrassed? And why did he not? Sam used to do this. Okay, this happened. There's a very famous story where Sam got the Letterman Show, SNL, 
Howard Stern and Joan Rivers, okay? He was going to do it all over two days, three days. And he was partying and having fun, and he got up early to do uh, Howard's show, and he missed Joan, Joan Rivers' show because he was hungover or whatever. He went back to sleep, and she was pissed off and uh, came to the studio to try to find him, uh, you know, put him on the spot. And um, he was famous for doing that kind of stuff. He'd get something, and he would celebrate and stay up drinking and partying and missed it because he was <laughs> celebrating. So he was out partying or whatever, and they, could not, and they couldn't wake him up. There would be instances where he was, like, on the other side of a door, and they couldn't get the door open. He was just passed out. And his brother was trying to wake him up and get him to come to the... Roddy was, man, just get him to come to the phone. Let me talk to him. And uh, he didn't show up for this thing. We were taping in, uh, in Santa Monica at the Improv. There used to be an Improv on Colorado Boulevard or Arizona, one of those streets. And uh, we needed Sam to play himself in it. It was... Uh, Bob Zaney was uh, going to be performing stand-up. The special was the really big show and Roddy would find these comics that he wanted to be in the special and the comics were treated like they were big stars and they were above it and you'd see them performing at a venue and that was their way of performing you okay. know seeing their like so Roddy went to see uh, him at the uh, at the uh, the improv and they were supposed to be watching Sam Kennison and Roddy's at a table with with uh, Bob Zaney, his manager, and Jamie Farr, we would get like a, a B celebrity. And he's like, oh, come on, do my special. And Kennison was supposed to go, what's going on down there? You know what I mean? Oh, my God, it's Rodney Dangerfield and blah, yeah, blah, yeah. blah. And you say, first of all, Bob Zaney, you know, Jamie Farr, everyone applause. Uh, Rodney Dangerfield, just crickets, you know what I mean? And then, then, Kennison, then Kennison was supposed to say, hey, let's see if we can get Bob to come up and do a little time. Yeah. And Bob would go up, and then you'd see his set. You know, so these little wraparound bits. Now, I always thought maybe Kennison didn't want to suck up to Bob Zaney or whoever the comic was, because yeah. that's not really Sam's thing to go, hey, we got a, you know, one of my favorite comedians, let's see if we can get him to come. That's not really a Sam thing, right? Yeah. So that's what he didn't show up for. And we wound up calling Fred Willard last minute, and he came down and he was great. And uh, the bit transpired like that. And he, as, as upset as Rodney was, he still wanted Sam for Ladybugs and kept trying to call him and kept trying to call him. And, and uh, his brother would say, he's embarrassed. He, yeah. you know, I don't care, man. I don't care, you know. And even uh, Sam was at the Dunes when Rodney was at Bally's across the street and he was trying to call over to get him to come over and he wouldn't come over. Huh. He was just so embarrassed. And he could be alive if, if things... If well, yeah. I mean, who knows what would have... Yeah. But, you know... It's just weird how fate, you know, plays sure. out. Yeah, I, I've driven that. Uh, also, we almost had a... It was between Jonathan Brandis and uh, who was the kid, the star, great actor, and Leonardo DiCaprio. And we passed on Leonardo, and Jonathan wound up getting the role, and he was great in it. And then years later, poor uh, Jonathan had some emotional problems, and he hung himself oh, really? in, his, in his 20s. And it was so sad. Uh, but... Leonardo DiCaprio would talked about it even in Rolling Stone magazine how there were parts that he was up for. You know, I know he really wanted Ladybugs. He really wanted the part, but then he wound up getting uh, a boy's uh, this boy's life with Robert De Niro, mm -hmm. and that started his whole career as a dramatic actor because he had only been on the um, Alan Thicke show. You know, uh, okay. so who knows? 
what would have happened if 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 we cast Leonardo? Maybe he wouldn't have gotten that movie and wound up, you know. Yeah. Oh man, it's so weird. Yeah, yeah, life is weird like that. How many movies did you direct Rodney in? I directed him in two, but I did five films with him, feature okay. films, that I co-wrote with him and was a producer. And uh, two of them got theatrical releases, Ladybugs and Meet Wally Sparks, and then the other three went straight to video. Small little releases. Yeah. You know. I'm so jealous of you that you were even friends with that guy. Um, what kind of person was Rodney? Rodney was a... Um, uh, he was a... S- Sweet, sensitive guy. He was also pretty tough, you know, uh, tough business uh, man because he had his own business. And uh, if somebody wronged him, he could be like a mafiosa and really turn against them. But he was uh, generally a sweet guy, cared about, you know, your kids. He'd want to hear stories about your kids that would make him laugh or something about... Laura, like one time Laura called because there was a spider in the tub. Yeah. Like, and he's like, what are you going to do? But he goes, man, it ain't easy, is it? It ain't easy. <laughs> like, fucking spider in the tub, man. What the fuck is that, you know? But uh, he loved comics, and he loved to uh, uh, help someone, you know? Like, uh, all those, he was so proud of all the guys that he launched from his HBO specials, yeah. uh, especially Sam and uh, Dice, who if it wasn't for Rodney, nobody was ever going to give those guys a shot at television, right. you know, and he put them on, put them in great spots on the specials, and then they wound up getting their own specials, and the next thing you know, they're doing arenas and yeah. getting movie contracts and stuff like that. And I remember sometimes we would see a comic, and he was like, man, I wish... I wish I had something going on I could put them in. I love I love this guy, you know? Yeah. And he loved to go to the clubs. He would I mean, of of all the guys that were from his generation, you know, that were established like Carlin and Rickles, they didn't go to clubs and work on their you know, they did their gigs on the road, but Ronnie would go to the comedy store or the laugh factory in the uh and the improv and pop up on stage like Robin used to and yeah. Richard. Richard used to do that too. He'd work on his material and uh you know, he's pretty much stuck with the comedy store because he was a comedy store guy. Yeah. Uh, Robin would bounce around, you know, to the other clubs, and so did Rodney. Did you know Richard very well? No, but he followed me a couple of times, and you know, with all my props on the stage. And then one time, I got a call from this really big producer, Barry Joseph, and he's a big movie producer and manager, and he handled a lot of clients. And he wanted to meet me, and I'm thinking, oh my god, this is so cool. I, to be represented by Barry Josephson would be freaking amazing. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I didn't know why he called me in, and I went in and met him, and he said I was standing in the back of the room, and Richard Pryor was rolling, laughing, bending over, laughing at your act, and I've never seen him laugh at anybody, so I said I had to meet, the, meet you and find out about you. And I went in, and he thought I was, like, brand new, and I, this is one of my regrets that I was. I started telling him about. Oh, I was with this agent, and they did this for me, but they were horrible in here. And I was with this manager, and then I realized he realized, hey, I've been around the block already, and you know, wasn't interested. Okay. I was so stupid. I should have just pretended <laughs> like, hey, man, I'd love to have a manager. What's that like, you yeah, know? Yeah. And then let, let, let him try to get me out there, you know. <laughs> there was a couple of times where I regret passing on. Uh, I passed on uh, Brad Gray who was a big manager. He handled, his first big clients were Gary Shandling, Bob Saget, Dave Couillet, um, Joel Hodgson. 
and you know then he wound up Greg, Brad Gray Television producing The Sopranos yeah. The Larry Sanders Show and I was with APA at the time and they were like hey uh, Brad Gray wants to take you out to lunch and represent you but we don't think you need a manager. We think, you know, we could do everything for you. And I know if I went out and had lunch with him, I would have been so flattered. I would have said, yeah, what yeah. the fuck, you know? Um, but you didn't do it? No, I didn't do it. It's stupid. Huh. There's some things you, you look back and you go, sure. I should have done this. I should have done more TV. I turned down a lot of TV. Yeah. Uh, j- just to get a little bit more credits, you know, and... Uh, uh, more people to know who you were, you know what I mean? It was just, I knew I knew my set didn't go over well on TV. And then they would have to, like, try to buy the royalties to the music or say, hey, can you do this without that song, yeah. you know? Did, uh, um, I heard that Kennison, like, I, I heard that he was in La Jolla and ha- having really bad sets, and then he did that five minutes on Rodney's special and came back to La Jolla and was killing and told his friend, I'm doing the exact same material that I did before I got on TV. And yeah, but this was, this is what Rodney taught him. Okay, Rodney saw him and loved him and was okay. doing the special, the first special. Now, that first special was a young comedian special, the ninth annual young comedian special, which they would always get a star, comic, or personality okay. to host it and then they would introduce the five comedians. And there had been a number of them. Carl Reiner did one from the Comedy Store. Um, John Candy did one, uh, was the host. Alan King hosted one. And they were doing well. They were, they were decently viewed. Rodney's wound up being the, the most viewed. The, I don't know what the rating system is, but the highest rated HBO special. And they loved it so much that they gave Rodney five specials, of his own specials, that he just did the same format. And they continued doing the Young Comedian specials. I think the next one had Dennis Miller hosting it. And they never were as big as the Rodney Dangerfield one because Rodney was fucking movie star, you know, back to school, just came. As a matter of fact, when I did the special in 80, 84, he said, man, I'm doing this movie... And we weren't that tight yet. You know, I was just in the special. He goes, oh, man, I remember I'm sitting in the room with Yakov and Rodney, and uh, and Rodney's balls were hanging out of his robe. <laughs> and he goes, man, I'm doing this movie. You know, you, there might be a ro- good role in it for you as my son. And I read for the part, you know, and they put me on film. I did a screen test, and I didn't get it. And uh, if I had been as tight with him as I wound up being, he would have just said, man, give Harry the part, okay? Yeah, yeah. You know, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, that that special. What was the question again? Because I went off. I went on a tangent there for a second. Oh, we. I, I said something about you said Rodney taught Sam. Oh yeah. So Rodney wanted to put Sam in that special, and Sam goes, and it was like five minutes sets or seven minute sets, and he goes, I can't. I don't. I can't cook that quick. It takes me time. I get ten minutes for them to get to know who I am. Right, Rodney's going, man, you're crazy. You can cook right away. You can get them right away. I come up on stage, I do one line, I got them. Yeah. You can cook, man. He goes, I'm sorry, Rodney, I can't do it. So he he passed on it, right? Okay. And the show's getting ready to go, and uh, like a month goes by, and Sam started thinking about what Rodney said, and he started trying to get them right at the beginning. He came up with a, a stronger opening that he can get to right away. Mm-hmm. You know, where, you know, I... 
I borrowed these clothes to get here. She took it all. Those five, that fucking bitch. Yeah. Ah, I want my records back, you know. Yeah. And then he called up Rodney. He goes, Rodney, is there still uh, room on the special? I'm cooking. I'm cooking in five minutes. And Rodney goes, yeah, man, you're in. You got it. You got it. And uh, so that's what motivated him to do that. Okay. And now he's got this fucking strong opener. Okay. And a strong closer, you know, when he realized, hey, I can do seven minutes, fucking kill from the beginning, smoky, smoky, and then the whole bit with the penis. Yeah. No, she says the dick stays. I'm sorry, the guys are bringing theirs. <laughs> can I bring my dick? No, the dick stays at home. You know what I mean? I think he was closing with that bit. Um, uh, oh, or the the sandwich. You know what? This is sand. Yeah. You know what it's gonna be? Yeah, oh, you sand. sand. You live in the fucking desert. Yeah, yeah that's what he closed with. Is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and 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 now he's going back in the clubs and doing that, and has because a lot of the clubs would put him on late at night. You know, Mitzi would have him go on after Mooney, mm-hmm. uh, so you, you know you'd see him at the OR go on at two in the morning in front of thirty five people. But the comics would all hang around because you're watching this fucking genius create this act. Two of them. You watch Mooney, who was so relaxed and yeah. so funny and didn't care how many people were in the room, you know, oh, fuck you. Go home, white people. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, we would just love to watch Paul Mooney, Laura and I would sit around and then watch Kennison. And it was just the greatest stand-up. You know, Dude, greatest. I, was, I was raised Southern Baptist, and he, when he was talking about Jesus getting nailed to the cross and all that stuff, I remember thinking, I'm not supposed to laugh at this, but I could not help it. It was so funny, and uh, it was just the the first time I ever laughed at something really, like, off, you know, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Well, like, and, when we were kids, we would listen to... Uh, what was it, the seven dirty words uh, yeah. that uh, can't you know, say on TV. Yeah, you can't say on TV, and we were like, "Oh, this is great! We discovered something, and we're the only ones that know about it." Um, uh, yeah, it was pretty wild, you know, seeing uh, seeing him, uh, you know, just fucking go up there and come up with shit. It was great. Yeah, uh, I, I've taken that trip. Oh, I've done that Laughlin. There's a casino there, and I've done it a few times, and. I've taken that very road. Yeah. It's creepy, man, because you go up and up down. Up and down, you can't hills, see. And you're not sure which one it is that he went over, but you know it was one of them that, yeah. that, it, that took his life. And the kid, the kid was drunk and, and the other came head on, went head on into him. And Sam didn't have a seatbelt on. Yeah. Uh, maybe he would have survived. But I guess his either his chest went into the steering wheel, you know, uh, and he was internally bleeding. Yeah. Um, because um, Malika... Uh, lived, you know, and she was knocked out and banged up, but she survived. She was in the passenger seat. Yeah, I read his brother's book um, about all that, and he was talking about how he, he got this, he kind of, uh, as he was as he was dying, like, he seemed scared, and then he kind of accepted it, and, and uh, it was a really powerful thing to read about, and, and I, I sure wish I could have met him, but did you know Robin Williams very well? I didn't know him, you know, like we weren't friends like I am with Dice or Louie or guys like that, but he used to go on after me. Like sometimes I'd be closing the show and then I'd just leave my props on the floor, you know, and then while it cleared that, because it was two shows in the main room on Friday and Saturday night, they didn't just have, you know, one long show or whatever. And uh, so I'd just leave the props and then I'd pick it up when the crowd was walking out and I'd get through the curtain and Robin would be there. 
So I'd have to go back out and introduce him. Uh-huh. And then he would use my props. Yeah. Like I'd be standing in the back of the room in my Rocky trunks because my pants <laughs> were on stage and my shoes were on stage. So I'm standing in the back going, oh, fuck, and watching the show. And everybody's just laughing at him walking and stepping over all this shit that's strewn all over the <laughs> stage. And he'd look down at it and he'd go, Harry, do you mind? And, and I go, no. And he'd start picking stuff up and improvising with it. Yeah. And everything wound up by his dick. You know what I mean? Like, you know, oh, look at this. You know what I mean? And everything, you know, wigs and shit like that. It was just fun to see him improvise with all of that shit. You do get impersonations. And he used to love, my, wife, my wife's parents owned uh, clothing stores in Hawaii. And they used to buy me these really cool suits. Uh, in the time they were in style, the brand was called Shanghai. And they were really cool cuts in my pants. And he would always ask me where I got my clothes from. Because it, it's the kind of shit that he would, he would like, you know, with baggy kind of pants and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Some real cool Hawaiian shirts, too, that he liked. Uh-huh. You, know? you have such a cool... Uh, I, I, I'm so jealous of you then. It was, it was just a different time. And, uh, yeah, but then you'd be 59. So, yeah, so be happy to be. How old true. are you? I'm 44. You look older. <laughs> I do not. Do Stay I? out of the sun. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Don't laugh and smile as much. It makes you look old. Okay. Um, what was I going to ask you? How old were you when you got Peggy Sue got married? I was thinking about that today because... I was uh, 24. Okay. And it was wild because it was the same year that I started playing Vegas. And Mitzi wouldn't let me out of... Uh, the contract. So the first week of rehearsals were in LA and we were rehearsing at a studio called the INCE, I-N-C-E studio in Washington. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Coppola was the director and Jim Carrey was in it and Nick Cage and Kathleen Turner and another great comic, Will Schreiner. And we would rehearse for a week. We had to dress like we were in the 50s and we would do some scenes uh, there was a party scene in the movie and they threw a party and had beer and we sang like we were supposed to in the movie. Coppola just wanted to capture a lot of this on videotape. And he had one of those cameras like they had in Back to the Future that Marty McFly had, you know, Doc Brown, yeah. where you could play it back. It was the first video player that was like uh, a recorder and a player. Okay. And he was shooting all of our rehearsals with that. But he was also directing Captain EO on the next stage with Michael Jackson. So we would rehearse till like 5 o'clock, and then he would go and direct with Michael Jackson next door all night, and then come back again the next morning when we'd rehearse for one whole week. So Mitzi wouldn't let me out of the Dunes contract, so I would, you know, the airfare was like $34 each way. So I would uh, take a cab from LAX from the studio, and, you know, come and do the show. I've, I thought it was so cool. Here I am doing a show at night, headlining Vegas, and then going back to, you know, rehearse this Francis Ford Coppola movie. It was just a lot of fun. Uh, and it was fun working with Jim Carrey because we were buddies. And yeah. so when we got our hotel rooms, we had our rooms right next to each other with an adjoining door. Uh-huh. We'd keep the door open a lot. And everyone would come party in our room, you know, yeah. Nick Cage and... Will Schreiner liked to play poker, so we tried to get a couple of poker games and stuff. Yeah. We were doing crazy shit. I brought bottle rockets. We were shooting <laughs> bottle rockets down the hallway at the Sheridan, the Sheridan Red Barn Inn. And then I had I had this like 
water balloon launcher. It was like a slingshot. Yeah. We were having water balloon fights. I had water pistols that were battery operated. <laughs> I just brought this arsenal of stuff. Laser tag uh, uh, with the baseball hat that had the, the dome on it. We had a lot of fun in that movie. That's awesome. Yeah, I was thinking about that today. I was like, I'm like the guy I'm gonna interview today. You know, I mean, you're my buddy and everything too. But you're, you're. I was like, it's surreal sometimes. My life, like, I'm interviewing you, and you were in that movie, and I used to watch that during the summer all the time. I mean, I had a small part. It was you on know, HBO more, all the time. Yeah, they. You know, I shot. I was. You know, I I did two months on the movie, which is a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, because I was in a lot of scenes. Uh, uh, in his singing group, some stuff was cut out. Jim had a bigger part, and so did Will Schreiner. But this was my first movie. I mean, I got my SAG card. I was excited to be in a film being directed by my idol, yeah. Coppola, because I love the Godfather movies. And uh, getting to work with all those guys and then have fun hanging with Jim. So we got so drunk one night at <laughs> Coppola's house on wine. I, I've never drank red, red wine since. So Coppola had this party. And he served a wine called Vino Forte. Okay. And let's say, I don't know what the, do you drink wine? Or do you know what the, what's the amount of alcohol that's in a bottle of wine, you know? That's uh, like 10% probably. Okay, well, let's, let's say this was like 30%. Wow. So Vino Forte means strong wine. Okay. They mixed a batch that was too strong to sell. So, and back then it wasn't called Coppola wine, it was called Carmine Cellars. Okay. And uh, so he would serve this wine at parties. And you'd get fucking bombed, you know, off of it. So he's sending us to the wine cellar to get more wine. Jim Carrey and I are fucking drunk in the wine cellar, grabbing, you know, because there's expensive wine in there too. But we're grabbing the wine. He told us, we're like, we're in Francis Ford Coppola's wine cellar. I can't believe this. We were so drunk. We went skinny dipping. We got driven back. We were passed out in the lobby of the Sharon. We couldn't remember our names or our room numbers. Wow. We were so fucking stinking drunk, sitting back to back on the lobby floor, singing like drunks in a 1940s movie. <laughs> I remembered my name and my room number. They gave me a key. We went in uh, to my room, and I carried him and dropped him in bed. Wow. You know what I mean? And then I locked the door and went to sleep, and I had to get up at 6 o'clock to fly to New York to audition for Saturday Night Live. I I was under contract with NBC at the time, and I pissed the bed, okay? I was so drunk, I wet the bed. Laura tried calling me, and I didn't answer the phone. She thought I was having an affair or screwing around, you know, uh, because we were just dating then. And I got up that morning to catch a shuttle to uh, Santa Rosa to fly to San Francisco and then New York. I'm so hungover on wine, and they, they, it was Sunday, and they had a buffet. And the buffet was going to open at 6 o'clock, and uh, I'm waiting to be seated. I'm the only one there in the lobby of this restaurant, and I threw up all this red wine into my hand, and it just went all over this white carpet, and they're just about to open for the Sunday brunch, and no one was around, and I just left. I left. I went and washed up and changed my clothes. So they're coming back, and there's fucking red vomit all over the place. And then I get on the plane in Santa Rosa, and they're like, would you like uh, champagne, fresh champagne? I was like, oh, no, and I never drank wine again after that. Yeah. Had the Saturday Night Live Yeah. And then I came back to work on the movie, and Coppola was getting ready to, to uh, go into pre-production on Tucker, you know, he had the car, yeah. and we saw the car, and I didn't, I didn't know what it was, or, you know, it's like, okay, it's a cool old car, 
And uh, so after that party on that Sunday, George Lucas was at the house, and they're walking around on the grounds, and they found a pair of white underwear, and it was my underwear, and he had it in a zipper bag, a Ziploc bag or whatever. And he's like, whose are these? You know, uh, on the set the next day, because <laughs> we were going skinny dipping. Yeah. <laughs> Here we were skinny dipping. Jim Carrey and myself are skinny dipping with fucking Francis Ford Coppola. He kept his pants on, but Jim and I uh, yeah. were, were, it was so cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you still keep in touch? I haven't seen Jim since uh, Rodney's funeral. I mean, you know, you travel in different sure. circles, and it's not... And, you know, I was so bummed because he was at Mitzi's uh, memorial, but he left early, something happened, and, mm-hmm. and I didn't get a chance to see him. We got there a little late. Okay. And uh, I would have loved to have seen him. Yeah, yeah. Well, I But w- we were both uh, pallbearers at Rodney's funeral. Oh, really? How long has he been gone? I think it was 2005, 2005. Yeah. October... Third? Yeah. Time flies, man. My boy's seven months old already, and uh, you said your kids are in their 30s. Yeah, my daughter's 29 and my son is 25. Yeah, flies. So, um, I'll I'll let you go. We can wrap it up. It's been like 52 minutes already. Um, But I wanted to ask you, as a booker, um, do you have a pet peeve, and is there anything you would like... Uh, booker or, or comedians to not do? Well, sometimes you get guys, you know, and everybody wants to work, and I'm rooting for everybody, sure. you know? And uh, sometimes you get guys that'll e- get your email and say, hey, you know, I host at the Chuckle uh, Hut in Iowa, yeah. and uh, I'd like to headline your club. Yeah. You know, and this is Vegas, and you can't just skip. Yeah. Being a paid regular in Hollywood, I mean, there are there are feature acts and hosts that maybe never played the Laugh Factory Hollywood that I booked because maybe I work with them on the road in the past and I know they're pros right. and they could do Vegas or they play Brad's Club or play the Stratosphere Club or the Cellar, uh, so you know, hey, yeah, they 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 play a Vegas room, and they have an act. So when guys just think that they can, right. Skip and not even, never played Vegas before, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden feature a headline. Yeah. But when it, when a guy is honest and says, "Hey man, I'd love to host. I've done this. I open for this person or that person." And if you respect the headliner that they work with, but a lot of times I want to see them live because not a lot of guys go over well here. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of young acts from Hollywood that are really funny and hip. And then they come here and they don't have a Vegas act. You yeah. know, it's uh, you have to have a you have to have a tight act here. Plus, people are paying forty nine dollars to sixty nine dollars for a ticket. Yeah, and they don't want to. You know, listen. You talk about yourself, but you write material. You write jokes. It doesn't mean that everything that you're saying is true. Right. You're a, you're a joke writer yeah. and you're a performer. Just because it's true doesn't mean it's fucking funny. Right. You got these fucking young guys that come and they want to talk about themselves. Oh, no, that's it's because it's true. Yeah, but nobody's laughing at it. Get yeah. to a joke. Write a fucking... Dom does that bit. Why don't you do a, a funny untruth? You know what I mean? <laughs> Boy, that Dom Herrera. You know when he goes, true story? Talk about integrity. One unfunny truth after another. You know, and some of the some of the younger guys are like that. They just think that they could just talk about their lives, about their and day. everyone's going to relate to it. No, they're not yeah, going to sure. relate to it. Yeah, I've seen a lot of that too, where people want to where people want to just uh, go up and talk about their day, and, and 
and that kind of thing. And I'm like, Thank you, Dave. you gotta have an act, you know. You have to have jokes. You can't just, you know, just because a crowd might be with you um, at an open mic or something that you're talking about your day doesn't mean that's like doing like doing an hour at a bar is a completely different thing than going to a comedy club and being right. an hour. You know right, right, or mean? doing a, yeah. a half an hour in the belly room in front of 14 people and it doesn't matter if there's not laughs every few minutes yeah. every few minutes you yeah. know so um, so is that that's your biggest pet peeve I think so yeah but comics? you know but I I'm I'm rooting for everyone and I like to give a lot of shots yeah you know like I just had two people that just emailed me out of the blue uh, and they said hey I'm going to be here in June do you do guest sets you know I I play the uh, you know I'm a New York comic and I play the Laugh Factory in Chicago whenever I'm there, and I watched a guy, and he's funny. Right from the beginning, he made me laugh. Yeah. He had a funny bit. He, he said uh, <laughs> he said that he has roommates, and they're assholes. He goes, they're just like, you know, do you have roommates that are assholes like this? You know, they're like, Dad, can you make us breakfast now? You know what I mean? So he's talking about his kids, you know, and uh, uh, and then he, had, he went into a whole riff on his kids basically saying that they're obnoxious roommates and I thought that was a very funny take and I watched about five, seven minutes of it and I was this is pretty strong stuff And yeah. uh, but I said still I'd rather see you live don't plan a trip here but if you are coming here give me a heads up and we'll uh, yeah. give you a, a, a showcase as long as it's uh, not a headliner who doesn't want any guest sets some guys don't want guest sets yeah. so you know I respect that you know yeah well, I, uh, I, I'm not just saying this because you're sitting in front of me, but you've always been very honest with me and, and gotten back to me and been very fair to me. So, and Well, you're a great comic. Thanks, buddy. And you're a good guy, too. Thanks, man. You know, that's another thing that goes a long way. Is, is this somebody you want to hang out? Are they going to be respectful to your staff, respectful to the club? Yeah. There are some guys that I love. I mean, they're like my favorite comics, and I really love them a lot, but they are a lot of fucking trouble. Yeah. You know, they they'll get into it with the audience, or you know they'll do they'll do some crowd work, and then they'll bitch about my staff saying, "Hey, they didn't shut this person up or whatever," and then they'll go ballistic, yeah. you know, where we get a complaint the next day, and in, in the day and age of Yelp, and you know refunds and stuff like that, you sure. want to make the audience happy, but I also want to make it a safe environment for the comics and have them love being here. That's why the green room is the way it is. This and is the best we provide videotape for the comics for free and, 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 uh, and, you know, and all of that stuff. I want to make this. I, I learned from Mitzi and Rodney, opening for Rodney, and all the great gigs that I had, I wanted to bring all those great elements here for the comics. Yeah. Um, but, you know, respect the room. You know what I mean? Um, sure. You know, you know uh, I want you to do great and have a great time, but also respect the audience and uh, give them a great show. It's not just, uh, you know, a Thursday night in Hollywood, uh, you know, in front of 40 people. Right. Come and do your fucking Vegas set, yeah. you know. Give them a show. So everybody walks out of here going, wow, that was Every comic was great. This is a great show this week. All three of you guys are super strong yeah, I, and Jeff, completely different. Yeah. You know, Jeff Richards is killing it and uh, and so talented. And uh, Derek, Derek is great. I mean, he yeah. he had lines rooms on the road I and know, uh, and uh, he's a good guy, you know, and respectful and uh, you know it's fun. And you're and, a good guy. And, and I was telling him last night, I was like, you know, I I love the fact that I know that you're a headliner. 
but you haven't been telling me all week. <laughs> oh, that's the biggest thing. You know, I usually close. Yeah. You know? Oh like, God. Well, you're not for this week. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I once had a feature. I once had a feature act when it was the comedy stop, and he he said, "Well, you know, I'm not selling any merch like I usually do because after you, they don't remember me. Is there any way you could come out and help sell my?" CD and I'll give you uh, like three bucks and I didn't sell merch myself I'm like no I'm not gonna fucking yeah. go out and because they don't remember you right. because you were the feature you know yeah. I worked here I worked here one of the best weeks I ever had selling merch here was uh, when it was a comedy stop I sold like two thousand dollars worth of DVDs wow. and I was following uh, I was following um, Andrew Norelli and he oh. sold about the same amount of CDs, he's a fucking great act. And Andrew's act is so great that you want the album. Like, he performs the album, so you're like, oh my God, I gotta buy that. And then Jimmy Walker was selling merch. It was like, it was like two weeks before Christmas, so I think a lot of people were buying it, stocking stuffers and stuff like that. It was just a monster week. Yeah. I actually ran out of DVDs by like Friday. I could have sold more. It was wow. amazing, yeah. I've never had that kind of merchandise week. Um, a couple of guys have had that here, a couple of grand, you yeah. know? I mean, I usually do pretty well here, but I have a grand. Um, Is it the shirt that says fuck you on it? It says go fuck yourself. I also yeah, have another one that says do right by those boys. It's a, uh, off a bit I've been doing. Um, that black audiences really love and white crowds are kind of like, well, your T-shirt is great. It's uh, "Go fuck yourself" on the front, the and then "No seriously" on the back, yeah. which is hysterical. But no one's gonna wear that, you know what I mean? Unless they're an asshole, yeah. you know. Yeah. But a lot of people like to buy T-shirts and just gift them. Yeah. And I think that's what's happening. But you got to be like the guy, the roommate in Notting Hill, to wear that out in public, you know. Um, uh, I think he had one that said "Fancy a fuck" on other on their shirt. Uh, um, but it's a great T-shirt. Yeah. Brian Sclero's got a great T-shirt, the Black Shirt Diet. Yeah. That's funny, man, because everybody knows a fat guy or a chubby guy. Yeah. And that's a funny shirt to yeah. wear out in public. You know. Yeah. I, I don't know what how much how many of those shirts I've sold over the last ten years or so, but it's been a lot. Um, Quindale's got a funny one that says "Public School Graduate," mm -hmm. but it's public. School is spelled wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Sells a ton of those. Funny. Yeah, many does. Oh, well, you've got a uh, busy night here. It's going to be... Uh, we have... Bruce Bruce? Well, we have four shows tonight. Yeah. But tomorrow we have five shows. Five. We got Murray at 5 o'clock, Bruce Bruce at 7, 8.30 show with you, the 10 o'clock show with Dice, and then Bruce Bruce again at, at midnight. Midnight, wow. Yeah, so this is going to be a... You know, over a thousand people coming through the doors, yeah. and a big mixture between the Dice audience, your audience, and Bruce Bruce's audience. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much for doing this. Uh, I love you, and, Tim. Uh, You're a great guy. Thank you very much, buddy. Is there anything you want to plug or anywhere you want to invite? To no, plug just anywhere? you know, uh, LaughFactory.com and TropLV.com okay. for uh, you know the uh, Laugh Factory here, and uh, and uh, I'll be performing here. I think in November. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, check Harry Basil out. He's got a great show, and he's a great dude. And, and I really appreciate you doing this, Harry, and uh, I'll let you go because you got a lot of stuff to do. All right, buddy. Congratulations you. on your beautiful family. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right. Thanks, Harry. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to that podcast with uh, my buddy Harry Basil.
a uh, great guy. Uh, done a lot of things, been around a lot of cool people, and uh, I really appreciate him doing that. As always, go to makingithappen.com, M-A-C-A-N, ithappen.com, and uh, help out little bow making. And my uh, website is timgathercomedy.com. It's got all my upcoming dates on there. This Friday and Saturday, uh, Friday I'll be at the Dayton Funny Bone for two shows, and Saturday I'll be at the Liberty Funny Bone for two shows. Uh, that's in Cincinnati. So, uh, yeah, if you're in any of those uh, places, come check me out. Uh, TimGatherComedy.com, all my social media links. And thanks for listening, everybody. I've got two more podcasts already uploaded and ready to go. I've got Jeff Richards, the amazing uh, impressionist, and uh, Randy Lewis, the Olympic wrestling champion from 1984, one of the best guys to ever do it. So uh, thanks for listening, and look, look, uh, look out for those coming up soon. They're already ready to go. They're queued up. They just need to be uh, made public. So, all right, everybody. Thanks for listening. God bless all of you. Take care. Bye.